Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to Digital Digital. Get down, get down. Get My down. name is Pink Fog. And this oh. is Hoagie. <laughs> oh, we've entered the phase of our parental lives where we watch weird animation. Although, to the credit of Pink Fong and Hoagie, considering they're the creators of Baby Shark, which I want nothing to do with. The rest of their channel is pretty good. Yeah. It's less annoying than a lot of other children's TV. I think We're that's not a cocoa melon house. Nice, nicest thing you can say, yeah. Um, and it entertains our baby enough that he doesn't scream at Bright us. Bright colors, nursery rhymes, ABCs. What more could you want in a free Roku channel? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is episode ninety-seven. We said. Yep. We were just discussing our plans for our hundredth episode. We'll see. It's gonna be big. Is it though? It's going to be big. We'll it's going to be happens. funny because we used to always joke about that we were going to have a live show. Yeah, and we didn't actually mean it. No. And now we're trying to figure out how to make that come together. So mm-hmm. we'll see. It's been a long, long road to get here. In terms of our <laughs> our podcast career or in terms of our lives? <sighs> uh, I was just going to say my good news is also the intro, which is that mm-hmm. we are in like the false spring the thaw, the great season thaw. of Minnesota, and I have never enjoyed it more. It's true. I was so so ready for it to be warmer weather to go outside. You're all for, about the outdoors for a change. Just it feels like the literal light at the end of the dark winter COVID tunnel. My avocado tree has sprung back to life. Survived the winter. The baby just wants to be outside all the time, and it's mm-hmm. fun to see him running around outside and falling on his face on the pavement. Yep. That part's not fun, but the running around <laughs> is fun. Um, and it just it feels like I'm like, I've escaped from this Your seasonal affective COVID. disorder. Yeah. Mm. With COVID on top of that, it was just too much this year. But we beat COVID, right? I mean, there's there's oh, people stop. coming back into to hockey stadiums and basketball stop stadiums. Stop and not wearing masks. I hate and... I hate the celebration of oh we're bringing in fans next week. That's not a good we thing. We did it. You that's didn't not a, do it. That's not a victory. Like congratulations if you managed to to find a way to test and and you know corner off people into certain groups or inside of the stadium. Or you just decided but, that you're willing to risk it now. Yeah, and that your society risk, won't look down on you as much. Yeah, your risk assessment office said it's okay to do. Like we still we accomplished nothing in this country at least. Yeah. Hmm. Except for not even trusting science enough to push out the vaccine, no. but but believing in uh, in biotech and pharmaceuticals enough, really. And allowing them to skirt around the normal uh, guidelines and yeah. uh, rules and testing periods. I don't know. Gosh, we are just full of good tidings I right guess now. my other good news should be that I'm vaccinated. It's true. Two shots. Yep. That second shot was brutal. Man, you were useless that day. Brutal. Um, but I am fully vaccinated. Um, no, mm-hmm. I was not vaccinated before I was forced to return to the classroom with children, mm. but I am vaccinated now. So that's good news, I guess. For sure. Um, good news and bad news. You kind yes. of turned the good news into bad news by whining about. A little bit. Um, do you have any other news for this week? Oh, I got a list. All right. Cause my bad news kind of ties into our, um, topics for this week. So, okay. Um, Australian Open, I have no 
no parting thoughts really. It was not a great tournament from my point of view. Probably mostly because of the time zone difference, but we watched the one match, uh, Dominic versus Kyrgios, which lived up to the popcorn hype. I think we talked about it last time. In and the I just end, don't though, about what's his face, Djokovic. Yeah, in the end, it was another Djokovic, Djokovic win. Naomi Osaka a win. Boring match. The men's. Oh, one that was one was terrible. Dull. Um, and as someone who's not a big Serena fan, it's just getting. It's just hard. To watch her still good enough to compete, but not not to get it done, not to get all the way. And the only highlight in the women's match was when Naomi asked her opponent, Jen Brady, if she preferred to be called Jenny or Jennifer. And she replied, Jenny. And then Naomi turned back to the microphone and said, Jennifer, Jennifer played a great match. Which she just blamed on her anxiety. So, there you go. Shout out to NHL 21. Never did I think... It would be a game that would unite you and I on the console gaming. It was one of the few highlights of February in terms of like us being stuck was at us home. Us discovering threes. Um, was us that was ones that actually started. Brought brought us together on some nights when we both had bad work days yeah. or just tough days. It was a nice. A fun cooperative activity and a good stress relief. Yeah, I was a sports gaming addict from like age seven up until twenty-two, probably, and then I quit cold turkey because I thought I needed to spend my recreational time on other things. Throughout Australia, I didn't have a true console, although you did get me the Nintendo Classic. Wow, what an epic Christmas! They can go back and find that episode where i detailed that saga yeah because yikes um and then i was like yeah between covid quarantine sports not being on tv that regularly i was Indoor like i not wanting to support some of the sports teams true for yeah reasons. so got back into the hockey game and kudos to ea sports who screw up a lot of things but they have some some fun uh, arcade type modes i don't know how what I don't know how you play, like, the career mode. I have yeah. never been interested in career mode in any sort of, like, sports video game. Yeah. It's very boring to me. But I do like... No, the... I used to take my seasons very seriously. I would aim for perfect seasons in NBA, and if I would get three quarters through the game and I was losing, I would start over from the beginning. You're such a start-over in video games, and it really drives me crazy. <laughs> it's not my style. Okay. Um, and then bad news... There's not going to be any more snow days in Minnesota. I don't know if you heard that. Like ever? School snow days. Because of district distance Correct. learning Which is setup. just like devastating for that whole generation. Like I can't even put into words. Like snow days gave me so much hope. Yep. In winter. And, and they were all like the little kid superstitions. I don't even know where they came from. Like where your pajamas oh, sure. inside out. or put Mine was all about just waiting or... to find out. And I had a teacher in the home, which meant we got an early morning phone call. Like... The joy I felt when I heard the phone ring at 6.15 a.m. Like, has you, never been surpassed. You missed the radio thing, though. I My used to, other favorite was the TV public access channel. I but. used to get up, like, before my alarm. Yeah. Or at my alarm. And Which turn is so on, dumb, because it's like, I'm going to wake up early to, to find out I can go back to sleep. turn on the my alarm clock radio on my nightstand mm -hmm. to the, like whatever news channel and then you'd have to wait alphabetically for your school name to come up yep. so i would sit there in the morning at like 5 a.m yeah like listening to the uh and then you get 
like you're waiting to come around and you would always I would always turn it on like just after the the right letter and then you'd have to lay there and wait another like five minutes for the right letter to come yeah. around. Man, like the happiest I've ever been in my life is one time riding the school bus home, I think it was in middle school. The bus driver got a call over the bus radio that said school for the next day was canceled. Kids flipped the <laughs> shit out on that bus. Because just the fact that you knew you had Ahead to do of none time. of that homework that night and you mm-hmm. had the entire next and you day. You didn't have to get up early in the morning and, like, oh my God. run downstairs to the kitchen TV oh while your mom was making God. breakfast and, like, try and watch it on the kitchen TV. Oh yeah. my gosh. Um, we have to talk about Zed very briefly. <laughs> <laughs> Not the letter. No, not the Australian the recording artist. Apparently, he's a recording artist. Oh, baby, what are you asking so, now? So, you know, there's good days and bad days with the Roku free channels. Um, so I came across the Architectural Digest channel. Sounds really boring, but it's all just cribs all day long. Correct. Isn't it? Yeah, it's it's slightly more um, mature cribs, I guess. I don't know. But anyways, we tuned in in the middle of one episode with this guy who I kind of thought from his accent he was like a tennis player. Like, he sounded kind of like Dominic Team or Zverev. And he looked pretty unassuming. Like, he didn't... Yeah. And for the first half of this episode, I don't think we knew if he was the realtor or if he was the owner of the house. Biggest fucking house I've ever seen in my whole life. My God. Like, the most perfect infinity pool that led into, like, this patio that led into the living room... And an amazing part when he got to the stove and showed that he had a water tap above the stove. And that's why he bought the whole house, he to said. To fill up his pasta pot. Um, he had a Skittles machine, like some random stuff, some tasteful stuff. And then anyways, yeah, he inter- I finally had to look up the episode and find out it was Zed, who I sort of knew was connected to that song of the summer circa 2018, maybe. Um... And then it said that it retailed the house sold for sixteen million. Yeah, like he probably has a mortgage, right? Like that song didn't pay for sixteen million. I don't know. I don't understand. It must be weird industry. to own a sixteen million dollar house but have a mortgage on it. How much money do you get for, like, radio streams? I don't know. I don't understand how DJs make Songs careers. Songs on the radio, radio a lot. Yeah. Okay, and then my last thing we have to discuss would be Carly Rae Jepsen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because our son, uh, he goes through phases with different songs, and for a while you had him hooked on some some pop music. uh, Some pop dance music. And so, yes, one of those songs was Cut to the Feeling, which has a pretty good chorus. Um, Legally, I'm probably not allowed to play this. Yeah, no, we're not going to make it to 100 episodes if you keep playing copyrighted material we would probably do better if we got a lot on the podcast but it's got like a little anthem vibe to it oh that reminds me of what what's the show we were watching with original songs that's the other one that i was thinking of julian the phantom thank you see i knew we just watched another show So our son was loving this song, so I was like, I'm on the TV, I'm on the YouTube, I will pull up the music video for this. All I wanted was a very straightforward music video of Carly Rae Jepsen hopping around on a stage to this Mm -hmm. song. Cannot be found. 
The official music video is backstage material of her like playing cards, not lip syncing to the song at all. There's yeah. no actual video to it. And then if you scroll right, it is only fan videos. Yeah. From uh, I don't even remember the movie. A ballet, the ballet cartoon? movie that I think Emma Watson had a voice in because I remembered watching it. You're saying it was an American movie. I think so. But it's unclear, like, none of the music was synced up with the scenes from the movie, so it's unclear if this Carly Rae Jepsen song was on the soundtrack, or okay, if just not the Emma Watson one. What people the, who loved called? the song also loved the movie. It made me very, like, most of the time, like, I'd say about 80% of the time that I go on YouTube, I get very concerned about the state of the world and my place in it. Uh, and this was one of the most it was literally just most startling called ones. ballerina yeah i think so no it's called leap leap yeah i watched it it was on netflix you watched the whole movie yeah i've seen it oh okay and i thought that movie was i thought the um oh i figured out the mystery what i don't believe that song is in the movie carly ray jepson voiced one of the characters okay sure Okay, that was probably plenty, plenty of time spent on that. So, um, take us into our uh, main segments here. So, what do you have? my bad news is connected to kind of our theme for tonight. We don't mm. always have a theme, and you usually... Right, this is our... You usually, like, uh, go against having a theme, and I'm usually like, which ones match up? And you're like, can we just talk about yeah. two things? This is our um, delayed Black History Month episode. So, yeah, this was... We were meant to record this uh, last two weekend, ago, and maybe. or two weekends ago, and it just did not happen. So, um... This is our delayed Black History Month, but as hopefully everyone knows, Black History Month should be celebrated, or Black History should be celebrated year-round. Not just the shortest it month. It does of not year. just end on February 28th and or 29th, so um, this is our delayed Black History Month, and that ties into one of my bad news is where mm. in Utah, schools allow you to opt your student out of Black History Month content. What? And in New Hampshire, lawmakers were trying to look at a similar thing where, like, you would be able to, like, choose that your student did not have to do the Black History Month content. That's ridiculous. Fucking bullshit. I get it when the Jehovah's Witness who was in my elementary school, like, did not have to do the Christmas crafts and things. Or even, like, I could even see, more, not that it's correct, but more of an argument about, like, a very conservative Christian who didn't want their kids learning about, um, like pride month or something like that yeah but like what what i don't understand basically what like your declaring, argument is yeah against black history you're basically yeah like there's no know. basis for that argument other than i'm racist yeah um i also just found it really depressing i don't know if this is news but like the percent there there was a poll you you have feelings about whether or not polls should ever be trusted anyways. I don't believe in polls. But there was a poll about how many Republican voters would follow Trump versus the GOP, mm. and the number was scary. It was like 55% would would leave the Republican Party and follow, like, a Trump party. Like, hmm. I kind of hope he does that, because I feel like that would, would split just the split vote. the yeah. vote. Um, and sure. it would actually be a dumb thing to do, but it's very scary that... I've just seen some people that are like, yay, we'll never see him again. I'm like, he's going to run in four years. I don't know why you would say, oh, we'll never see him again. Like, he's not over. They couldn't even impeach him after he incited a riot yeah. uh, in the Capitol. Like, 
I don't know what more evidence you needed that he incited a riot aside from the literal words that came out of his mouth and the events that followed, and it still was not enough. Isn't it crazy how how quickly things have returned to relevant relevant normalcy? Relative. Relative norm- normalcy. Yes, but the I know prob- not for everyone the in the country. The problem is but normalcy is bad. I know. Uh, Biden immediately started deporting people, even though he said he wasn't going to. He immediately said that he did not have the authority to um, cancel student loan debt. He immediately yeah. um, voted down, or the Democrats like voted down the fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage. minimum wage thing. Well, you know what like, I mean. Like we need at least a year before like. The president, you know, has to take up all of CNN all day long for something. I agree with that. I just think it, it's easy to, to to be lulled back into like, oh, we have a normal president again and like tune out from politics. Yeah. Because Biden was not many people's first choice for a number of different reasons. Um, and he is far too centrist for me or far too concerned about being centrist. I guess I still um, have faith that the people that he's nominated and surrounded himself with will have more sway on his actions. I don't know. Remains to be seen. The whole Democratic Party, I'm not convinced that they're going to actually make a lot of change because they don't... I mean, it's it's all a power struggle, right? So it's all about who can keep the power. It's not really about making changes while you're there. It's about making the slightest changes you can to make it seem like you're improving yeah. things for your base without actually that rocking was the like, boat enough. That was like my first like realization of how screwed up I think American politics were was when Obama got elected and like the pundits started explaining how like he had to play everything cautiously to get elected and then the, the second four years is when he would try to be progressive and it's like what? Well, you're going to waste four years just yep. to get four years? It's just ridiculous. That's, I feel like that's where the Democrats are at now, where now that they have the power, they're like, okay, we just have to put up a good image so that we can keep the power. And so I don't have a lot of trust that they are going to make Someday we'll moves. get that third party that you envisioned in your debut novel. If I was going to write that standing. book again, I would make my candidate not centrist. I would make my candidate much more yeah. radical and somehow make it work. All right, there's our political hot takes for the week. You're welcome. Um, I kind of think we should start with our movie. Advertisement? Oh, sure. We can do an advertisement. Book digits, B-O-O-K-D-I-G-I-T-S dot com. Dot com. Um, soon. Just, pay, just ponied up for that that domain renewal. And you're spending a lot of, you're, you've been spending a lot of time on some I'm, like, taking it seriously. Like, I've been working at a software company now for three years, and... I still don't agree with all the uh, approach in terms of how overthought every software design decision is. The back end and the front end. Sure, you're using you're using uh, <laughs> industry terms. Yep. Um, but I am eager to turn book digits into a little bit more of a modern, uh, well-built, well-running machine. So. Version it will technically be version 3.0. We had we had launch version, which design was pretty rough. Then the second version came out. It was the year we moved to Australia, which would have been 2015. So and when then, we debuted the mobile website as well. And then you've made some updates in terms of sure. we, we've added different things or like streamlined the I database. I just actually whatever, yesterday but. fixed the cookie issue. So now if you choose to view things in a grid or you choose to use number scale instead it of letter scales there? it will stick yes oh, thank the lord found the bug um anyways 
So I would say I'm I'm pretty optimistic that by at the latest Jan 1, 2022, we'll have BookTages 3.0 with mobile apps maybe in the pipeline someday. All right. Keep dangling that fish. Yep. Fish? I also, carrot? since we're dangling, or carrot? since we're dangling, I also reacquired ScreenDigits.com. Did you? I did. I okay. let it go for like three or four years and I was like, if it's still there and available, I'll snatch it back. Because really, the way I'm building this new book digits, like everything is very well organized. So switching it over to use a different form of media shouldn't actually be very hard. That should have some of the same. Yeah, I mean, your to read list becomes your to watch list. The themes, your... the fiction, nonfiction. Yeah. The sliders. Have to come up with some new categories for those kind of like specialty uh, ratings, but. We'll see what happens. There's some good APIs that let you pull. I mean, the big thing right now is to be able to aggregate content from all these platforms, and if possible, have a little button that tells you where you can watch Would it. it. TV That's the key and thing. movies. Yeah. All all sites are like that now. IMDb, Letterboxd, they all. What about like do it. YouTube series? I don't know if that would be in the API stream, but is like book digits were were open, so you can add any book you want. I mean, YouTube has some, like, officially um, scripted stuff, and, and then obviously I was thinking more of... like the Lizzie Bennet Diaries or something That's like that. That's probably on IMDb, yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's a long commercial. We got a lot of content, so we're going to... Speed it up here. All right. Movie first? I was going to say start with the movie, because you told I me agree. today that you thought this movie was the best one I will, watched I will recently. kick off by apologizing to my dear wife. Because I I admire mu- I admire s- you so much for all of your progressive values and how you take those values and even if we haven't found the best ways to action them, you've become extremely vocal. You've you've persuaded me on lots of things. You talk to our friends and family, and you're very very open about all this kind of stuff. Still, I'll occasionally tease you, though, and specifically in this one case, I think you saw one trailer for The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and in my head, I admit, I thought, that's a great title for a movie, but I feel like she's super eager to see this just because it will be, like, diversity points. Okay? That's how I felt. And then, basically for a year, every time we we were talking about what movies we wanted to watch... You would say, you know what? I really kind of want to see that movie, Last Black Man in San Francisco. And I would just kind of roll my eyes and be like, no shit, you do? And? It's a great movie. I wish we had seen it a year ago. <laughs> I'm literally for a year. I saw a trailer for it. I saw something about it on the internet. And I was like, that movie actually looks kind of good. I'm kind of interested in that. And every time I brought it up, you would just be like, uh-huh, sure, babe. And I like, thought I you felt like you, I thought you got guilted into wanting to see it. Like we're watching, we're watching a Malcolm X set of documentaries about the investigation into his assassins, which has been up and down so far. And you know, you know, last summer we did the exercise where you had the list of things that we were sure. trying to watch in one month. So I thought it was part of that, like in this a homework assignment almost. No, man, I wish you had convinced me to watch it sooner. I tried, um, and. The Are Malcolm you proud X? of me for being up front and, and apologizing? 
it's like you were judging me for a whole year thinking I was just doing it to try and get like a, a bingo card, a, yeah. a spot on my bingo card. The Malcolm X one I was interested in too because we were talking about that with my students. We Have just... you ever been to his, gra- his grave though? <laughs> no. So we were talking about, we my students, my fifth grade students, we read this book, Betty Before X, which is about Malcolm X's wife in her childhood. Um, Betty Shabazz, or previously Betty something else. Yeah. Um, Betty White? No. And uh, so we talked about Malcolm X a little bit and learned about him with my fifth graders to connect, like, why is it X, Betty before X? And why is it why is it called that? Yeah. At the end of the book has kind of a timeline and more information about her life. So um, we were looking up things, and, and one of the kids said, where's his grave? Because that's what 10-year-olds are concerned about. I looked it up, and it's in... Uh, like eastern southeastern new york state right near the connecticut, near the border, connecticut so, border yeah. and the kids just got really invested in it and kept saying have you ever been there why haven't you been there and <laughs> has I, your husband been there and i said is your husband been there and i said i just found out it was there i didn't know it was there and i said but it looks like it's kind of close to some of my husband's family and they said well have they been there <laughs> have you called and asked them if they've been there so, uh, if anyone has been to Malcolm X's grave who is listening to this, yes. let me know and I will tell my Pixar students. didn't happen. Um, they got very invested in it and really want to know more about his These grave. the same apparently. kids who confused, was it Easter with 4th of July? Or they, they were wondering how Jesus factored into 4th of July? Juneteenth and Easter. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but then I texted you one day and I had to tell them that Ted Bundy and Paul Bunyan were different people. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, they're still learning about the world. Okay. Um, Anyways, back to the film. So this movie, it's it was like a you know Sundance darling kind of kind of movie, like a a little bit more artsy indie. Yeah. Um, And the kind of premise of the movie is this black um, young adult and his friend um, try to like reclaim. his childhood home where he used to live that's in like mm-hmm. a very white what one of those prototypical san francisco up the hill streets with full house houses that yeah that's like at this point now in a really like white upper class neighborhood gentrified you might say. very gentrified yeah and he uh says that his grandfather built that house and he lived there when he was younger with his dad um and uh they're trying to like reclaim it um but it had my my biggest comparison was Wes Anderson. Um, I felt like it hmm. had this um, little bit of quirk quirky, to the music and yeah, the, the, the shots and the the music and the cinematography and some of the interactions and characters were a little bit like hyper is hyper realistic the word yeah or surrealism but sur- yeah. yeah surreal. Um, where you're, where you're kind of thinking like, did that really just happen, or is that? I think you're right about that with a cross. With you also mentioned while we were watching it, uh, sorry to bother you. Yes, reminding me. And I think you pointed it out, and you were absolutely right that this movie was much more my vibe. It's, it's got similar kind of beats to that movie, uh, to Sorry to Bother You, but that movie was a little bit too loud, and intense. We're not like drug users in this house. But yeah. I would <laughs> I would say that Sorry to Bother You was like on acid right. and and this one was more like I see what you're saying. like 
like smoking pot or something. It was more like a chilled out yeah. vibe where the other one was like really like over um, saturated. Correct. And like l- like it relied a lot on like loud yeah. colors. Yeah, loud sounds. versus quiet is the best way. Yeah, I could this but one, drugs, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you know what I was metaphor. trying to say though? Like this one was a little bit more understated and a little bit more um, a little bit less obscure like sorry to bother you had a right. lot of themes that yeah. didn't all quite connect but were really in your face at Whereas the same this time this was a much more this was a story about humans and how they were operating in today's world and it was more um, grounded kind of it was also just a little bit more straight i don't want to say straightforward but i think like the themes or the, the yeah. message of it wasn't wasn't hidden or subverted at all yeah. like the message was i was thinking about there. i was thinking about that today and like the one scene from each movie that really stood out to me both involved the n-word there's the scene in sorry to bother you where the group of white people start chanting it because some one of the black guys chants it and they start using it as like a pop song almost i don't recall that but i don't recall that. it's like in the dark scene before they turn into half horse people Anyways. That movie did go off the rails. I yes. <laughs> yeah, it did. I forgot about that. Yes, it did. I was remembering the first half of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And then this one, I, we're going to have to talk about Montgomery a bunch because he's probably my favorite character in I a movie. Mont with the little. Yeah. Probably my favorite character in a movie, like, yeah, since I can remember. I loved everything about him. And the scene, the scene that endeared me to him first is when you see him practicing his street voice mm-hmm. which is was just so powerful to me because i don't know if this is racially tinged or what it is but like one of my favorite tropes in media is the black person who doesn't fit into the stereotype yeah like like saying like yes i know that that um african americans in general enjoy hip-hop music they maybe they have a family member who's had a rough time maybe they come from a the projects like you know there's always, it seems yeah. like a lot of black media talks about the projects and and people coming out of that and american dream type stuff and then i'm always really interested in the people who don't fit into that cultural kind of mode and i also think that ties in with like a, an issue with a lot of media that um is is about black trauma and black pain Thank and you how for, that's yeah that's, to that's what, what like saying. sells more and I, there was this really powerful video by um a instagram video by nick stone a mm-hmm. young adult author um where she broke down and was saying that her most popular books by far are the ones about um just like what you were saying like black kids on the street or black yeah. kids in, that are like she has one called dear martin where a kid is like in kind of trouble and and writes to martin luther king mm-hmm. um and those ones that are about racism and yeah. about like the you know negative side of the black experience yeah. if you will those are the ones that make money and that's are more popular right. and all the white people read and say this book is so important and want everyone right. to 12 read years it. of slave uh moonlight um what's what's the big book one about the police shooting the young adult book hate you give yeah yeah those movies have to be made but as we've talked about before like the goal should be that like um writers and creators of color should be able to make you know 
uh, everyday stories about whatever right. they want. Nick's they should be able to do great things and bad things and everything in Nick between. Nick Stone has a book coming out about a soft a black girl who plays softball. Sure. It's not about police shootings. It's yeah. not about, I'm sure there'll be, you know, some aspects of, of fish out of water or something like that, but yeah. it's not centered on black pain and black trauma. Do people need to learn about those yeah. things? Absolutely. See, but, but does that's every I, type of media yeah. have to focus on those? No, because then you're not giving the true like richness of the black experience. You're only focusing on the stereotypes. That's what I thought was so genius in this movie is because that one scene in particular did draw me in so much to him and his character. And where does that lead? That leads to his in, him interacting with the people on the street, which then feeds into a story which is getting at exactly what you're talking about. So instead of just hitting you with here's the how drama. racism is yeah is, or here's it's traumatic for us yeah or here's the the dangers of the street let's and, get and the, the sympathy culture. directly it was yeah. just so smartly done um yeah i literally wrote i love mont with like the smiley yeah. face so jonathan majors is his name hasn't acted in a lot but he is in i guess he has a big role in the lovecraft show which i vowed to never watch but i'm now Aww. tempted to just because, yeah, his whole presence, like, he's the kind of guy who, I, like, I will go into his IMDb. What he's, what is he going to act in next? I will go, I will want to see that. I really liked his character. Um, I, I loved the way that his character was strange. Yep. And people embraced him for it. They didn't need to put him in a box and say he's autistic or he's mm -hmm has a learning disability or he's this or that like that was just mont yeah like they just embraced he owned it who he was and he had his best he's like ride or die best friend he had yeah. his grandpa played by danny glover oh man the grandpa um and they had some great scenes and um like he didn't quite fit in with the like the street group mm -hmm. but also had empathy and sympathy for them he was such a rich character like he right. had such a he rich was trying to understand the world but also kind of leave his own apart from it. mark on it yeah um and then like his the the play scene yeah i'm not normally a fan of like the whole like one man show that seems to be kind of a trope in some i thought you're gonna say the play within a play yeah, that too. I've talked about how, like, on things like Shit's Creek that I'm not a fan of, like, the, yeah, the meta-commentary kind of. But, yeah, like, and you kind of knew what he was doing, but, like, when he was making the costume, it didn't click, and then you see him in the costume. The costuming of that part was great. How it kind of went for humor at first, and then got really dark, and then got really personal. And then also how you didn't... It was hard to tell, like, how much of it was scripted and how much of it was just, like, improv or coming from his heart. Yeah. Um, and that was a great way to bring that conflict in. I mean, the the one thing that I struggled with in this movie, mm -hmm. uh, and I was going to say it reminded me of that Melissa MacArthur movie, M McCarthy movie I didn't want to watch with the typewriter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you ever forgive me? Yeah. Um, because... Like, the whole... A lot of the plot is is centralized around, like, this isn't going to end well. Oh, this was the movie where you were begging to Google how it ends. I was like, I need to Google how it ends because I'm so anxious. Like, I think I will enjoy the movie more if I know what's going to happen at the end. Because the tension kind of builds... Um, I don't think this is a huge spoiler, but they they basically start squatting in this house. Mm -hmm. It's kind of in they between no buyers. They have no ownership of, yeah. 
they start squatting in this house that they have no ownership of and then it becomes quite obvious to the viewer but you realize that like his grandfather didn't actually build this house like right. spoilers i guess but like his, but it's still like until until that is said out loud and when it is said out loud it feels like a plot twist almost even though yeah. it's the most obvious thing possible but i was just really worried that like the tension was building enough that like something really bad was gonna happen mm-hmm. although i was really upset when they threw the furniture outside like that was like his he, they made such a big deal about him getting the furniture from his auntie yeah. and like um oh, that like hurt when they when they right. came back and it, all their stuff was out in the front yard right and it wasn't in kind of it wasn't in like a capitalistic type like our goods are all that we have it was just like this is this, it was their stuff. Yeah, and it was his family and, like, their... Yeah. yeah. so that was hard. Um, so, yeah, I struggle with movies where I'm just, like, is something bad about to happen? Is something bad about to happen? Probably also why I hate horror movies. Yeah. Um, just this building of suspense. The, the suspense of, like, in an empathetic way of, like, I don't want anything bad to happen to Mont and the main character's name. We should mention Jimmy Falls, yeah, since this is kind of his brainchild. Um, and I just like didn't want anything bad to happen. I love that to Jimmy them. just plays like his character name is himself, but yeah. like that's not like it's not like he's playing like a younger fictionalized version of right. himself. And that doesn't like take over a lot of the story and try to be too meta. No. It's just he's just playing himself. So yeah, we looked it up after, and it's actually like r- loosely based on his life story, mm-hmm. and he wrote it with a friend of his, and they kind of like joked about turning it into a movie, and then like. Did I say like, Spike Lee helped them with it or something? Yeah, it's possible. I read an article. Now I'm forgetting who. No, no, Barry, the guy who did oh, Moonlight. Barry Jenkins. Yeah. Barry Jenkins yeah, was yeah. the one who like helped them get connected with like an actual screenwriter and Got and it. get like some connections to to make it a real movie. Yeah. So it was a pretty indie movie. I don't think either of them had ever made a a real full length feature film yeah. before. Um, but it reminded me um of Good Will Hunting. Like two friends yeah. loosely based True. on the on a story of their life in in this in this very setting. I think, like I think you nailed it. Yeah, San Francisco is a very alive part of the the movie. Yeah, um, very you know rich part of the movie is the setting, um, and also stole the ending from Goodwill Hunting, but in a not in a plagiarism way, just yeah. a similar ending to Goodwill Hunting. So I think that's what vibes it gave me was kind of like a san francisco um version of of goodwill yeah i was prepared to dislike it i thought it was going to be like hitting you over the head with gentrification is bad which even though that is kind of the plot it didn't do that at all but you you it leaves you with the sense of like wow it's bad that this is happening to the neighborhoods yeah but not it's not preaching to you about it correct yeah and yeah because i i get frustrated with the whole gentrification debate because it just seems to go in a cycle that people are like, oh, God, it's such a terrible thing. But, oh, we have to build up this neighborhood. But, oh, it's a terrible thing. And it's like, what's the right answer here? Do you want people moving in? Do you not want people moving out? Do you want it to be built up? What I mean, we've talked about this before. It's like, I think you want people to, to move in to keep the neighborhood alive. But the, when those people come in, you want them to embrace what's already there in the neighborhood. Not, right. not um you know, ignore all of the businesses that have been there for how many ever years and instead insist on like a Starbucks coming in instead. Yeah. Um, so I think it's about ex- embracing the neighborhood for, for what it is and for the diversity and the culture that it has and not yeah. trying to replace it with um, 
you know, modern uh, stores and, and chains and things. So yeah, I give this movie bonus points for music because as we've said before, I do not notice music in movies, but I really enjoyed the musical cues here. And also I never notice like the camera work, but like there were some long shots of Jimmy on a skateboard and even the first, the like one of the opening scenes when they're like, they say they're running late and they're like, let's ride. And you're like, what is that going to mean? And they yeah. ride, just the image of them riding the skateboard together with Mont's like trench coat or whatever he wears. Or no, it's probably a suit coat that he was wearing, but he's got that like, uncle desmond vibe from yeah about time where he's just like dressing so formally just because that's how he expresses his himself yeah and yeah the grandfather scenes where he's just like his caretaker and are they gonna live there where are they gonna live it's like really like the only thing i disliked about it is the way the ending just kind of fades away but that's what it had to do i guess yeah, I um, I really liked the subtlety of a lot of it, like you said. Um, my version, of, uh, this is what I was going to say, my version of not listening to the music is not noticing the cinematography. Yeah. I generally don't notice the cinematography. I don't even really know what that word means and I like to throw it around. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, the way that they did like the camera work on this movie and the angles of some of the shots and yeah. when they kind of pulled it back so you could see the the scenery and when they like pulled the exteriors up and the interiors and, like when they first get in the house and like they're experimenting with the furniture and stuff it's, it's just, just a beautifully shot movie yeah um so yeah i just think the the other thing i was going to say is that i liked the themes were obvious and yet like subtle at the same time mm-hmm. like they're the themes about like toxic masculinity and like the kind of street culture and, yeah. and how damaging that is the um gentrification and people kind of mm-hmm. um being forced out of their homes or being in unsafe San living Francisco conditions being the most expensive place on the planet for who knows why um the the i don't want to focus on the white people in a, in a movie that was so beautifully about about black families and black mm-hmm. struggles but um the way that they portrayed the white people was also um who were in the house or like everyone like the realtor general, and just the, in general yeah. this people subtle the race the subtle but insidi- insidious insidious, insidious yeah. racism was just really well done i thought like multiple times they did the i don't want to call the cops yeah of like you're still threatening to call the cops as a white person and a black person but pretending you're a better white person right. for saying you don't want to call them like they had a lot of good like lines same thing with the realtor yeah. who like w- was from the same neighborhood and like pretending to be bros with them and then afterwards like was like what did you think i was going to do i'm going to sell this house why are you doing this like don't make me don't make me call the cops you know yeah so i thought the that other thing that kind of got well to me too. is that the fact that we're semi-new homeowners still and just the early scenes of where Jimmy's pointing out all the ways that the current homeowners are not taking care of the house <laughs> made me feel both guilty in some ways, but good in other ways of like, oh, I try to have a garden out back. Oh, I yeah. try to mow the lawn, even though three quarters of it is a <laughs> is a burnt out dead patch of grass. But um, just the way that he cared for this building that like he had no business worrying about anymore. Um, and, and I'm just thinking like the ba- nostalgia of it too it was yeah. a great connection to just like that childhood nostalgia and just like wanting to believe right. things that your parents said or kind of like 
legends in your family or like taught like stories about your yeah. family even though you know as you get older like that's probably not a hundred percent true anecdote like w- wanting to go back to the time where you believed it and yeah i don't know yeah there's just so many good scenes like the one I, i'm thinking about right now is when he goes to the the bank i guess it is near the end and and tries to get a loan to buy the house that's a tough scene um which then just made me think of Pursuit of Happiness, which I think is yeah. another one in that kind of list of movies I was saying in terms of, uh, well, it's, it's very different than Moonlight and those other ones, but like I assume that Pursuit of Happiness is now looked at as like a almost kind of trauma porn. Like it's like, yeah. let's see how bad well, it, this black guy can suffer until he starts to succeed. And it's also like the pull it up your bootstrap thing. Like right. it kind of supports No that. one needs to help you out. You just need to keep You just keep need to try hard, hard enough. Yeah. yeah, it kind of supports that... Um, that damaging narrative of you just, yeah. if you just work harder you won't be poor poor people don't work hard enough like, right which is not true um the other thing of work did they show jimmy being employed during like one, one 30 time, second scene and mont was employed one time or yeah. twice what was his work he worked at the the lobster thing he cut yeah, the head yeah, off yeah, the yeah, fish right, in the a fish, really yeah. weird way yeah um i just i liked that there was some sort of like weird jokes like the bus just never came as someone who used to rely on public transport like that was fucking hilarious to me that like the bus it was just like a joke the bus like never came yeah um and there was just some other things that made it that made you be like is this meant to be our universe or is this meant to be an alternate universe is it just weird enough and has just a few little kind of surrealistic things that you're like is this meant to be real life yeah and it's just this like weird hyper realistic version of it, or is it meant to be like a slightly so alternate? Fantasy. Yeah. Anyways, we've ranted for like twenty minutes about this movie. That was good. Um, if someone in your life has been mentioning this movie to you for a year, <laughs> uh, maybe you should just give in and watch it because you'll really enjoy it. To my credit, I never said no. I don't want to watch that. It just you didn't was have never. To say it. You just. It was never your pick. It was never my pick. And I can be a little bit of a pushover at home. You can be, yeah. Um, Just because I don't... Man. I'm just... What would Ma do? That's my new mantra. Mantra. Oh, gosh. I did a button. (laughs) I did a button. Um, Yeah. Okay. And the next thing you want to talk about was Cinderella Cinderella 2. The Disney sequel that we found. Oh, God, no. I couldn't... I watched, like, ten minutes of it. It was very bizarre. Um... No, I want to talk about everyone's been been up in arms in a good way about Brandy's Cinderella. Why did it suddenly become relevant? Because it in the suddenly landscape? became available on Disney Plus. Ooh, it was added okay. to the Disney Plus library. Got it. Um, I, I had seen it as a young boy. I assumed I had seen it, and I definitely <laughs> had not. I had zero <laughs> recollection of it. Like it's a movie that I knew existed. I remembered like seeing. Well, it wasn't a movie. They showed it on Sunday night. It was like a big TV event. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, it was, I knew that the movie existed. I'm yeah. saying I wasn't like, what do you mean there's a black Cinderella? Like, yeah. I knew that it, it was in the cultural zeitgeist. There you go. I definitely had, like, seen clips of it, like, on probably commercials on TV sure. when I was younger. But I, like, assumed I had seen it and just forgot about it. And as we were watching it, I was like, the fuck is this movie? I have not seen any of this. Like, I mean, none yeah, of it was familiar. I mean, my biggest takeaway between that and the Cinderella sketch that SNL did, you know, a couple weeks back or whatever, is just, like, weird fucking fairy tale. And I know, like, most fairy tales have, like, a weird fucking backstory. The, the ending of the real Cinderella is that... Is that yeah. the stepsisters cut their feet off to try and fit 
them into the into this yeah. glass slipper. Just the whole the whole the whole storyline is just bizarre, and the fact that it's like a like a go to for like your kid's first princess, and, and it's like, like everyone... held up as like the romantic ideal of weird like... freaking story. And like if the prince can't can't track who he was macking on at his big ball, like. He has some issues he needs to deal with before he can get in a committed relationship. Also, like, I'm all for race-blind or, or race-bent casting, mm-hmm. but he didn't remember the race of the woman he was with. Right. Even if he didn't remember her facial features, if he's face-blind or something, <laughs> you would think that he would remember, the like, the color of her skin. I That was bizarre. Like, at least in... Like the Hillary Duff version that I'm a fan of, yeah. the Cinderella story, like it's like a, a masked ball. Right. Should he still recognize her because her mask was like only covering? Should her he really eyes? need to ask every single person in the in the kingdom? I mean, yeah. this version it comes down to Whitney Houston, and then Excellent. I did not remember Jason Alexander and his uh, musical montage. He that was something. And sang, and he was like with an skipping accent. his heels, and that was weird. Doing stunts, and then you have Whoopi and um. What's his yeah. face as the as the the king and the queen? Yeah, the guy from Legally Alias Blonde. Alias or Legally Blonde? Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed it in the way that a person enjoys musicals, where like you just kind of lead lean into the absurdity of the fact that they're just like dancing around the streets and singing. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's not a classic that I will watch many a time. I don't think it's not going to be like a comfort movie. I don't have the nostalgia factor of it because also like none of the songs were catchy. Like I remember no. being disappointed as a kid. Cause I assumed I remember my parents being like, no, this is Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. And I was like, I don't know what those words mean. <laughs> and I was like, are the mice going to be singing? Are we, I mean, what's the, what's the hit from Cinderella? The Disney one. Um, Bippity boppity boo is the right. fairy godmother. So I was like, one. when is bippity boppity boo gonna happen? And like, then, it's not gonna happen. What are the other ones from Cinderella? I guess the one that Whitney sings is probably the standout one. Whatever it is, amazing things happen. I did really like that. I the scenes that I definitely paid most attention to and found myself like sitting up and paying attention to was the Whitney Houston scenes because yeah. her and Brandy together were really um, Magic. magnetic. Yeah, magical. All right, I say let's keep it moving. Sure. Which um, of the two books would you like to talk about? I don't know. One of them I read long ago. So what do you think we should do? Um, uh, Cinderella, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes is like yeah, the soppy one from Cinderella. I knew I was forgetting. Oh, and then the, the song that the mice sing the when they work and they make the yeah, dress. That's the one I was trying to picture, yeah. I think we should do such a fun age and okay. then go out with yeah. The little things in life. Are... You listening to ads over there? I was trying to find the Cinderella the working song and there's yeah. an ad and it's. I can't. I can't think of any lyrics to it. Me neither. That's why I was gonna try to. Um. Oh yeah. Cinderella. Never knew any of those lyrics even when I was a kid. Alvin and the Chipmunk style. Okay, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, released in 2019. I think we both read it last year. Um, I was going to say that this is another Debut one novel. similar to Nothing to See Here, where like mm-hmm. the either the the cover or just like the vibe or what I heard about it did not match with the actual book. I thought it was going to be 
very, very literary. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be more like The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which I read um, last year as well, that is kind of Toni Morrison-esque, where it's it's much more literary and much more like... Um, this, the, the both the writing style and content. I thought yeah. it was going to be a little bit more pretentious or a little bit more but yeah, elevated. Nothing to see here, especially with the plot. Actually, has a lot of connections. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um. So, but this movie, this movie, this book ended up being more of a a modern, like new adult almost type book than Correct. I expected. I was expecting a very literary. Yeah, new adult. Book. I think is the right term. Um. A lot of the synopsis revolves around what happens in the first chapter, which is important. But yeah, I did not, I did not know where the book was going to go from there. So the the setup is is that uh, the main character. Sorry, I'm going to have to look up some names and stuff. So Alex is the mom, and Amira is the main character. I was just thinking of that name the other day, mm-hmm. and did not remember that that was the main character. You're sure that's the main character? Amira Tucker. Yep. So Mira uh, is babysitting for a wealthy family, not in New York, it's Philadelphia, right? Yeah. And Amira is black and the family is white and the kids that she babysits are white. And so there's an issue at the house. Amira takes the daughter who she bonds with throughout the whole book. She's like three or four? Yeah. Um, Takes her down to the grocery store down the block. Just to kill time, get her out of the house. kill time. She just came from a party she hadn't been planning to work that night, but got called in to babysit kind of so... They're in the grocery store, and there's sort of an altercation with a security officer there. And it's like a viral... Right, it's um, someone someone who pro, plays a role later on, kind of situation. Is, uh, is videotaping, is, uh, you know, By using their standard. phone to, to capture it. And that kind of sets off a plot, but kind of doesn't, because yeah. it's a little bit of a slow burn as well. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, you have Amira, who is like just out of college... Um, working this job and you have kind of the situation she go she gets into with the girl and the girl's mother uh, and then the person who recorded the altercation in the grocery store becomes a love interest yes um, in kind interesting of a ways controversial love interest in mm-hmm. a number of ways for both from the reader perspective and also from the in, in the book within the characters yeah um I gave it a B plus, which is a little bit higher than I thought I did. You also gave it a B plus. We're right. I was gonna on the look money. up my review because I don't remember all of it. I yep. was gonna say the things that I really liked about it. I Briar is the girl's name. I liked um, the relationship between the. My favorite part was definitely the relationship between Briar and Amira. Right, and that's um, where the crossover with nothing to see here, where you have someone who's like not a professionally trained uh, childcare person, but they're like. Kid, these kids make sense to them and they kind of like it also just impart wisdom on each other i think it just like connects with kind of my teaching style because i'm not a classically trained teacher right. either and to me it's just about treating the kids like they're human beings um and i think that's what connects what jumps out to me and connects with me as a person but also the the last two books both it's like you don't have to have a degree in early childhood education to understand how to like listen to a kid and make them feel seen and heard and make them feel important yeah um and so i I like that that theme of it for sure so those scenes were really really cute and i definitely as someone who has babysat as someone who is currently teaching um i definitely understand that impulse of like 
you're so torn between wanting what's best for the kid or wanting to keep helping the kids Mm -hmm. and also trying to figure out what's best for you. Like, like as a, most people do not grow up wanting to be a babysitter. Right. Uh, and yeah, career path and ambition is one factor in here. Quick correction from me. You're logged into book digits on this phone. You gave it a B plus. I gave it a B minus. Got it. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I also read this last year as um as a new mom myself yeah so i it was strange with alex the main character because you get the perspective of alex so it was strange with her because sometimes i related a lot to her as a new mom oh, we're trying talk to about alex. trying to balance like trying to figure out motherhood and figure out her career. career and the way that she kind of loses herself a little bit and and her um even just like adult friendships and I was gonna say um, she's very concerned with her appearance her weight and her her kind of online visibility among her friends and things um so i i related to some of the parts about like motherhood but also Alex is not a likable character. She's the villain. So, She's the villain yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, so one of my big complaints about the book is that I calculated about half of the book is actually kind of told from her perspective. Yeah. Which I did not like. I would have liked the whole book told from Amir's perspective. Uh, there's a huge long backstory for Alex, which is important because like three quarters of the way there's a big coming together of two characters... And you're like, okay, he knows her. She doesn't know that he, okay. Yeah, but also a lot of it is just like Alex trying to like excuse her bad behavior Mm -hmm. by like giving more of her backstory. And like, I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, I didn't, I cared much more about Amira and her friends and her job situation than I did about like Alex's like, sad backstory that's not so sad and actually she's the bad character wasn't that great number one complaint with this book is about alex the depiction of alex's career where she has supposedly built an online empire from not much what is described yeah some sort of online blog that took off and like honestly when's the last time you heard of a blog that took off it doesn't happen anymore and she spends so much of the book procrastinating writing her book which as a failed author gets on my nerves so much because she has a literary she has a literary agent and so much of the book is her going oh the agent says she needs to see 50 pages and i've only written three and oh gosh what am i gonna do oh my god that annoyed me so much didn't bother me that much. Oh, that annoyed um, me so much. It didn't make me like her. It didn't endear yeah. her to me. But it also, I, I was, I felt related. I related to that because I also tend to procrastinate a lot. So, mm-hmm. or have ideas in my head that I don't always do anything with. Yeah. But also, I have a job, and I take care of my own child. Um, what bothered me more about Alex was how much she like preferred her baby to her older kid yeah in like a way that was like very unsettling really unsettling and i i kind of get it that like a newborn you just snuggle with and hold and it's it's very i don't don't think anyone would say it was easy but it's very straightforward like you just literally have to keep them alive they have no desires or wishes really outside of yeah um just you keeping them alive whereas like 
as we're learning with our son, yeah. um, as they get more into toddlerhood, they have a lot of opinions and are a lot harder to, you have to put a lot more effort in to figure out what they want yeah. or how to make them happy. They become a, their own person. They become yeah. their own person. Yeah. Separate from you. Um, so yeah, it was, so yeah, she's portrayed as a bad mom, a bad employee. Like I said, like, yeah, there's not much redeeming. And I don't think the author intends there to be. But, but I also think that that's part of the point is that as a white woman reading it, or I, I related with her a lot, but also didn't like her. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me was like the different ways that the two main white characters like bend over backwards trying to prove that they're not racist. Yeah. Um, Alex has basically convinced herself that because she likes Amira and is kind of like obsessed with her that she can't be racist. And because she pays, she employs her. (laughs) Yeah. And and she gets away with a lot by saying, well, she's my employee. I pay her for that. Um, And she thinks that if she like gives her extra treats and um, a bottle of wine or whatever, that that is her like absolving her racism. There's a weird section where she tries to befriend her and like try to become buddies, which is weird. And yeah. I think that she just has, like, a little bit of a um, weird obsession with her because she's young yeah. and black and, like, is, like, exotic to her. Right. And, like, she just seems really cool. Like, she thinks she's cool. Yeah. Um, and, the, yeah, obsession is weird. But then you have Kelly, who is um, Amira's boyfriend, who you find out also has a connection to Alex. And he's supposed to be, like portrayed as a little bit more of like the good guy except he's not really like he's racist in a different way he at the beginning he's the one who takes the video of amira in the store and like weird is weirdly insistent about like trying to publish the video to like bring down the store yeah not caring what that would do to amira in her life yeah um and he thinks that he's better than than Alex because of like an incident that happened when they were in high school. So he has this chip on his shoulder thinking that he's like a more evolved human being than Alex. And then but- I thought the most interesting part was when he starts to identify how the job could be problematic and how she's being treated at the job could be problematic. And Amir is kind of like, I like working there because I like the kid I work with. Like, even if it's problematic, doesn't mean I have to quit. Just because you tell me it is. Yeah. And, yeah, he seemed to have... He, he had this, like, very much of a white savior... Right. White male savior role going where he, like, felt like he knew better than her or could, like, yeah. fix her or, I don't know, um, treat her a certain yeah. way. Um, and there's one scene that stood out to me a lot at the end where Kelly and Alex are basically just finger-pointing about, like, who's the racist one now, huh? Who's the racist yeah. one now? And they're just like trying to blame each other for being racist and make that make themselves feel better about not being as racist as the other person. Yeah. And, and the whole point is that they get so wrapped up in trying to absolve themselves of racism or to look not racist that neither of them are treating the, the black person in their lives. Well, right. Um, that she becomes an afterthought to both of them. Just a pawn. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, there's a good I, best friend in this book. I'll I was give just that about a shout to say out. that. That's, you read my mind. Some I was good humor there. Just about to say that. I don't want to spend this whole time talking about the white characters in this book. So, um, Amira's friends yeah. were the, my favorite part of the book, probably second maybe to Briar. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
were portrayed really well. I like I liked the development of the friends where first of all you have that weird like early 20s kind of jealousy for the friends that have their shit figured out more than you. Um but also that um her, her best friend who was kind of like gave her some tough love at some points but also was the one to help her get out when she needed to. Um I really really liked her friends and I, I liked how they um at some points they weren't always necessarily like super good role models or, or the best of friends to her either mm-hmm. um or don't necessarily understand her situation or, or have a lot of empathy for her situation but uh they ultimately do help in amira's like growth and in, in her yeah journey i guess um the one thing i did not like i really hated the ending don't really remember what it happened was at really the end. epilogue she gets a new job at the end she gets a new she works job for like the political party or something yeah she gets that. a new yeah. job works for the political party basically just like wants to stay the assistant forever but it just like wraps up really quickly yeah. like there should have either been oh, less right. of like an ending or more about her of an ending getting a promotion at that place or not yeah, yeah. it like instead of just ending with like the dramatic scene it kind of goes into what her next steps were um but not enough to make it like a full plot. It kind of just skips ahead and skips again and skips ahead. And then yeah. there's like a, a, she sees oh, Alex and she sees yeah, Kelly. I and like, yeah. I could have done without that. I think it should have just ended Great. earlier um, with a more dramatic scene with the interview and all of that. Yeah. Um, anyways, I enjoyed this book. It just wasn't quite what I expected going into it. I think I might've enjoyed it a little more if I knew what I was getting into. Yeah. So I, what I was expecting was not the kind of type of book, the the, the tone of the book that yeah. it was. Um, Being a debut, certainly look for more from that author. I'm just seeing it's got a ton of reviews and ratings online. So like publisher did a good job of getting that book out there. Yeah. It definitely made like the book club and the bookstagram circuit. Yeah. Um, was it a Reese, I think, Reese pick? I think that's actually, it might've been. Um, I think that's part of re- the reason I thought it was going to be a slightly different book is that it wasn't very book clubby to me. Like, there's plenty no. to talk about, but it wasn't yeah. like the the literary Oprah's book club, whatever like no. style that I I expected. Um, I would say if I, I I think it was a good book, I would recommend it. Um, I enjoyed it enough. Um, obviously, we've talked about some of the parts that we didn't like. Um, overall, for me, I didn't like the ending, and there were some parts in it that didn't land quite quite right for me or um yeah i didn't love alex's section as much but i really liked amira's journey and like i said before i really liked the um child care connection i babysat enough and taught enough that that really clicks with me yeah. um and staying with nothing to see here that idea that like just caring about kids and treating them like they're human beings is um it matters more than you know degrees or position or whatever yeah um so yeah all right we got one more item one more item we're gonna talk about a non-fiction book which we rarely do it's true um i read more non-fiction last year than i have probably in the previous years combined um i have about a bajillion non-fiction books on my to do to read list that have to do with um with racism and race theory and like indigenous history and um and indigenous um science knowledge i think is the next one i want to read so 
trying to be better about reading more nonfiction, but there were a couple standouts for me last year um, of books in general that happened to be nonfiction. Right. My three favorite books I think that I read last year were um, Hood Feminism, I'm -hmm. Still Here, uh, Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall, I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown, and The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. I never read any James Baldwin prior to this. We, we've talked about this before, maybe even on the podcast, but I don't even really recall reading many black authors, at least not full texts, maybe like a poem or no. something. I mean, in high school, yeah, our uh, our textbooks would have some excerpts and stuff, and I think I probably read some Baldwin in maybe a college class, but... I read Langston Hughes in a college mm-hmm. class, um, and... Frederick Douglass, I remember reading in a couple different classes. Oh, and I read... Um, Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man? Yeah. Was that high school? No, I don't think so. Must have been college then. Hmm. Um, so I read some of them, but I'd never read any of like the classics, like Toni Morrison, James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, off the top of my head. Oh, um, Zora, Heel, Zora Neale Hurston, mm-hmm. Their Eyes Are Watching God, The Color Purple, Alice Walker. Like I never yeah. read, I still haven't read those last two I just mentioned. Um, and so last year, I picked up a few of them, um, and Tony uh, Tony Morrison did didn't not, click with you. Didn't click with me. At least the one that I read. Yeah. Um, James Baldwin, on the other hand, like blew me out of the water. You were um, shook. I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. I'm still a little surprised that you had had the type of response that you did. I just, it's rare that like the writing style and the content elevate each other and Mm -hmm. match up so well interesting and just click for me like i feel Mm -hmm. like usually a lot of the books that i read the writing style is just kind of whatever like if you're reading ya or you're just or new adults like you're reading for the plot and the characters like the the writing is fine, but or the writing itself is not like an to art. Read a more literary book. You're like, yeah, this is highfalutin. There's some pretty sentences, but nothing's happening. Like, right. there's no point. To and I this. think that's yeah. why it jumped out for me because the type of books that I read, I will read some literary fiction, and usually I'm like, like you said, like the craft in here is nice, but the story yeah. is not. The story or the content is not catching me, or vice versa. Weird romance or YA or something like that, and yeah. it's like. It's not really about the sentence structure. It's about the characters of the plot. And this book just, both of those really connected with me. The The writing style is, the, the writing itself was just really affecting and well done. Yeah, having watched a couple of his interviews, or we, did we watch one documentary specifically one about documentary, him? yeah. But yeah, seeing him talk and then uh, first time reading one of his longer form things, like you can kind of see how he translate and how effect how he translates it to the page and how effective that is but people love to just like absolutely like lose their shit over like Ernest Hemingway's short sentences sure. or about like for me it was about Baldwin and his commas and i was joking to you about this but seriously like normally i get so annoyed by authors who like disguise run on sentences by using a lot of commas in technically the correct place and I just thought his usage of of commas to to build a sentence and grow a sentence was really amazing. I didn't particularly notice the commas, mm-hmm. but I did notice, like, I know people say this about writers, but, like, I forget which white writer I'm thinking of, but, like, every word matters. Yeah. 
um maybe it is Hemingway I'm thinking of but like that's how I felt about Baldwin's where it's like there were no extra words there mm. were no words that just seemed like they were there because they kind of made sense like every word felt like it was like the right word in the right spot at the right like it just felt like the way he like crafted his sentences which then mm-hmm. crafted into a paragraph which then made a chapter just very economical with just it all yeah impressive and mm-hmm. i don't know why people i do know why but um his writing style should be studied more than it is sure and i think part of it for me was just a shock of like this man is brilliant how have i never read his writing before and i'm not super well read in the classics i did not have an english minor like you did thank you it was um, technically just a concentration <laughs> a minor concentration so i i've never been someone who's like i've read all of the classics yeah. but um we had a pretty robust rigorous high school curriculum with english um and i was disappointed upon reflecting back, back and yeah. upon reading this book that like how is this not not studied uh in terms of like the craft of writing um yeah so and i don't really get why why it's considered a book i guess it was published that way but it's two essays really yeah um so you have the first one which is only a few pages long which is the letter to the nephew and that's the what really sucked me in i think because you and i yeah that, attached to different parts but go ahead uh, i liked that one a lot i um for me that was the hook to read the rest of the book mm-hmm. for me that was what drew me in because it was really like uh he didn't pull any punches like very he didn't like talk or he doesn't like talk around anything right he goes straight Just to the like, point this is what america will do to you this is what you need to do to fight back. And it's yeah. this, like, beautiful writing style, but this really, like, harsh, tr- honest content, straightforward yeah. content. And just the, the the combination of those two, of having these, like, really harsh message inside these, like, beautifully crafted sentences, I was just like, dang, I need to read more of this author. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you and I, like, attached to different parts for sure, because I got a little bit... I don't want to say bored, but just a little bit detached in the middle when he's, like, driving around in a car with Elijah Muhammad. Like, I kind of just found myself skimming and wanting to skip ahead to But now that we've been watching this show about Malcolm X, you've been, like, there was this, all these people attached to this black religion? And they were, like, an army, the fruit of Islam? Yeah, so... Um, it's been an interesting connection because I said sure. I wanted to watch the, the Malcolm X documentary and it was right after you finished reading The Fire next Correct. time. So perfect segue for me. Um, so yeah, the second essay, the much longer essay, is is autobiographical, but it doesn't like, you know, it's not a depiction of his entire childhood exactly, but he talks about growing up in New York and what he sees on the streets and then specifically gets into religion, which... You know, I don't, I don't study religion much, but I am interested in hearing people talk about their own experience with it. I guess. That's why I think you need to read "I'm Still Here" mm-hmm. because it, it that was one of my favorite parts about "I'm Still Here" was her experiences with white Christianity and the black church. I was gonna, uh, that sounds right up my alley because yeah, that's one thing. I went to a, a what what was it a performance from your kids? It was the step performance. Yeah. And there was such a religious vibe to it, you know, discounting the fact that you work at a Catholic school. But, and I just sat there thinking, these people are praying to literally the same God. And we can talk about Islam versus Christianity, but 
these people from a black Catholic church are saying the same prayers that the people in Alabama are saying. And the white yet, people in Alabama or the black people? The white in people in Alabama, yeah. I'm saying. And yet, how is it possible that these people can believe in such a like spiritual thing, agree on that, but then and have that not be able to be the connector between them? Yeah. It's it interesting. It's very frustrating I, to me. I just read a book called The Meeting of Two Prophets, and it's about um, a Hasidic Jew uh, who meets and befriends a. Um, a Muslim mm-hmm. boy. Um, and it was just a lot about those two characters. And there was a lot of the sim- similar um, type of themes of like, we're both very religious. Both of our religions believe in the same like backstory. Right. Um, and yet. seems like nobody wants so you divided. to believe that you're, that that connects you. And like people. That makes you more alike like, than anything. Like the, the uh, old Testament of yeah. the Bible is the same as the Torah. Yeah. Which is the same as most of uh, the Muslim religion as well. Like, they all have the same... I never knew that. uh, I'm probably saying, I'm probably oversimplifying it. Sure. But a lot of them are, like, not just similar Genesis stories. Like, the same prophets. The same prophets are in Judaism, uh, Islam, and Christianity. Yeah. Like, a lot of the Old Testament is exactly the same. And... And I, I don't know enough about um, Islam to speak much on that. I, yeah. I did learn a lot from this book I was just reading, but I don't know enough about Islam to Islam to speak on all of their things. But like the Old Testament of the Bible is literally just the Jewish faith just follows the Old Testament. They don't believe that the Messiah has come yet. Yeah. Um, whereas obviously Christianity yeah, is more. It's based just fascinating of how people have taken kind of like an event or a person in history and used it to to manipulate their motive motivate large groups of people i'm almost amazed that it hasn't it hasn't corrupted the world more than it has i guess i don't know say what you will about catholic priests and so forth but i was just thinking more about what the crusades and and holy wars and and um, I mean, no. the book I was reading is set in, in Israel, so there was a lot about the Palestinian-Israeli yeah. conflict. But. I'll finish with, I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast before, but it terrifies me to realize that in a thousand years, people will probably look back on Christianity the same way we do on Greek mythology. They'll That's say, interesting way to think of it. oh, oh, isn't this, isn't this interesting? They used to believe in X, Y, and Z, and oh, let's, let's read their old stories, and let's retell their stories, and isn't that a fun mythology? Hmm. interesting theory yeah so yeah i think you should read i'm um, still here as well so so you were interested by the elijah muhammad part where he like kind of goes on a ride along yeah, we're back i to was James yeah because i don't i don't know a lot about the whole black islam movement i knew about the the point of the x and i never really got why why muhammad ali had to be why why the religion was a factor for him um and I also never understood why you knew the names uh, Martin Luther King, you knew Malcolm X, you knew people like Muhammad Ali, Elijah Muhammad, I never really heard much about in school. Yeah. And then when you hear him described and you see him on the show, 
he was the leader of these, I don't know if they got to a million, but hundreds of thousands of people. But they even said on the show that he was not a particular, known to be a particular oh, his powerful speeches speaker. On the show are on the show are terrible. You can't hear him. You can't understand or anything, him. Yeah. Which, so you can see why Malcolm X rose up sure. um, within the ranks. But yeah, so I think if I were to read The Fire Next Time now, I would maybe be more interested in those parts now that I've been learning more about um, the Nation of Islam and, and the connection mm-hmm. with the black community at that time. Um, I want to keep watching that documentary because I want to know more about what happened. Yeah, I guess I need to I need to retract my statement thinking about Palestine and Israel. I think I think the level of corruption and violence and from religion is probably worse than than I depicted originally. Yeah, I mean I think it's easy to say it's not that bad when we are a part of the majority in this country. Right. And the country we're in. I guess I'm the- just saying that that with how how strongly so many people believe in the religion they do, I'm frankly a little bit amazed that the that we haven't reached the apocalypse yet. In terms You're of the making different... me so anxious saying this because all the stuff with President Trump, yeah. they literally made like a golden idol statue of him, which is literally in the Bible that you don't do that to anyone that but aside from right. God, like you and should that, not have false that idols. Part, yeah, the religious aspect, the fact that he represented the religious right is just represents represents sure. Uh, and that's what scares me is that that we're not going to see the last of that that they've been emboldened and um, feel like that they're in the right and they have someone who will like stand for them is terrifying. Yeah. We got really All far right. off, James I Baldwin. Think we need to wrap up. Um, you have upcoming stuff. I know next week you'll be giving us your March Madness NCAA basketball previews. Do we have that to look forward to? We'll be doing fantasy baseball hour um, up. Upcoming. I just traded away Vlad Guerrero Jr., something I swore I would never do. Man. I have no statements on that. Um, upcoming. I would need to read more James Baldwin because I have, I bought like That's, a collection. You got a tome, babe. A collection of him. I need to read it. Um, my final wrap-up statement was just going to be that uh, I think I've realized that it's not nonfiction that I hate. Mm-hmm. It's a certain type of nonfiction, subset of nonfiction. I don't really like like textbook style nonfiction where they're like teaching you a subject and there's all these like footnotes and things like that yeah i like memoir like essay style nonfiction. okay because i think you would also hate like the pop science type things when they're like the science of happiness or introverts yeah. here's how we think i like I'm those not, things should be one long form article they don't need to be and like i'm not really much into the self-helpy ones either yeah that's kind of what i'm getting um at. but it seems like the what's in common of the ones I did like last year are like personal essay style memoirs where it's not like an autobiography or biography. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not just like aimless essays or, or short, like short story kind of essay collections. It's like a, a long form personal essay type memoir because fire next time was like that hood feminism was like that. And so was, I'm still here. Um, hood feminism was a little bit more textbooky if you will because each chapter was like a topic but the the style of it was like telling a story sure. about her life and how that connected yeah. um, and then throwing some stats in so I still am not a huge nonfiction fan because I you don't really like get sucked into the story as sure. much but um, I need to give it more of a chance and so that's your upcoming news my I think I would have saved my upcomings okay I have a couple things, but I think we've talked enough. This has been a very long episode already, so I think I'll save it. All right. Thanks for listening. 
Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Sorry this is uh, a little bit late for our Black History Month celebration. Um, I have made a couple posts about Black History Month on um, the Book Digits Instagram. So if you want to read more of my like personal feelings on it outside of the podcast, um, I wrote an especially long one about my feelings as a, a white teacher teaching Black students um, during Black History Month. Uh, you can go check it out on the Book Digits Instagram. I'll also say we're like very nearing another TV rut. Like we're just on the, the edge Help of us. it. 30 minute shows especially. Bonus points if you can recommend a good 30 minute show. Yeah, I'm watching WandaVision. I'm not. That's I'm actively not watching it. Yeah. Low I've gotten with my eyes that I'm Everybody loves it. Marvel. You don't have to apologize for it. I know, but I, I always multiple times in this podcast I've sworn like Marvel, off of Marvel. I just feel like Marvel has like set the bar so medium low like i don't know i i'm just i think on this podcast multiple times i've sworn off of marvel and i i've gone I back I to it you so on that. yeah so anyways any suggestions or recommendations we're always happy to take them um i mean i have a to read list more than my lifetime long but um it's a new feature coming book digits no, 3.0 but yeah Send us any recommendations your way, especially for some TV shows or movies. Um, and thanks for listening. Okay, and stay peace tuned out. for our live show, maybe? Maybe. Bye. Okay, bye.